This is John DeFalle from John Sandow's Bookshop in Chelsea, London. I'm very pleased to introduce a podcast with the novelist David Mitchell on the occasion of the publication of his new novel, Utopia Avenue. David has been a good friend to John Sandow's since he first started publishing. Since his brilliant debut ghostwritten, he has been to sign for us, and he has bought many books from us over the years. We have had particular occasion to think of him lately because of a remark he made when I arrived to open up the shop one morning a few years ago and found him looking in the window. Seeing me, he gestured towards the books and said, Whenever I look in the window of John Sandow's, I reckon civilization's good for at least another ten years. This has been a helpful remark for us to recall as we've fought to sell books in the last uncertain, anxious months of the Covid crisis and it therefore feels supremely fitting that the first new novel we should greet with a podcast and signed copies as we reopen our doors to customers is his magnificent, life-affirming Utopia Avenue. One could say the same for a David Mitchell novel, by the way, that each new one encourages the sense that civilization is alive and well in some form. Set in 1967, the novel follows the fortunes of a band from its origins in Soho clubs and provincial England, to a brief burst of fame in America during the Summer of Love. It's a gorgeous mash of fun, disasters, sex and drugs and rock and roll, and above all, vivid characters. Funny, passionate, bristling with the exhilaration and exuberance of youth and music, it's a book you don't want to end, and afterwards you want to tune in with the band again and find out what they're up to. Anyway, David is in Ireland, and the circumstances with which we've all grown familiar this year prevent him from travelling to London for publication. So I'm going to read out some questions which he'll answer and play with as he wishes. There are numerous walk-on parts for real people, many of whom may have been, in some cases still are, customers of ours. Here is the London that our bookshop, so to speak, grew up in, the King's Road in the swinging 60s. And suddenly a character tells a black cab driver to take her to Blacklands Terrace in Chelsea, opposite John Sandow's bookshop. You referred to us in a comparable way in a previous book, Cloud Atlas, and it is, of course, delightful. I think of it as a kind of waving. It's a frivolous question, perhaps, but I suspect your work is peppered with such waves. Is it? Oh, I like your idea that they're waves. That's a great word. Uh... Yes, it is sort of me waving to you, I think. Um, I don't do it that often. Uh, they're not... It's, it's probably too much to describe it as peppering, uh, my work. But um, but sure, a few little grains of pepper judiciously sort of dropped into the text across my books. Much fiction has texture. It takes its texture from everyday life. And if it so happens that the time and place can fit, then why not choose the texture... Um, according to places I know and people that over the years I've um, had a relationship with. You were hand-selling Ghostwritten years ago. Um, You sold a lot of copies. I remember my publicist at the time telling me about this bookshop in Chelsea, this rather special particular bookshop in Chelsea. Uh, I came to see you shortly afterwards. Um, And, yeah, uh, I felt a connection. Um, I've read your own work. And I kind of think, why not? In that particular scene, uh, that cab has to go to somewhere in London. Jasper has to 
get out of it with um, Mecca at some location. So why not make it uh, a location I know? You do this waving also to your own creations. Characters from other books suddenly appear. The lead guitarist is one Jasper de Zoot, who is explicitly connected to Jacob de Zoot, he of the Thousand Autumns of Jacob de Zoot, which was set in 17th century Japan. And suddenly this business of waving takes on a different aspect. There's a sense of things coming round again and again, of connectedness. Would you talk about this? Well, yes, it's true. Um, maybe it's a cliché to say that everything is connected um, and clichés are the fossils of wisdom. And just because something is a cliché doesn't mean it isn't true. Uh, things are connected in, uh, in, in an entirely non-mystical way. They're, they're economically connect, uh, connected, politically connected, socially connected... Um, scientifically connected, ecologically connected. We do live, I believe, reality is a kind of a continuum. Uh, it's just we fail to see it because we are mere mortals and maybe we, maybe it's a condition of sanity that you don't see all of it all the time. Maybe if you did, you couldn't function. But, um, but when I construct my reality in my books, obviously it's a simpler proposition than the creation out there that we live within. So maybe I can make these connections a little bit more visible and uh, transparent. I have... I've always done this. I've had people in one book appearing in another. The, my reasons for doing it have evolved down the years. Initially, it was just fun. I liked doing it because I enjoyed seeing it as a reader. Then I noticed that when you do do it, characters in book A, if the reader believed in book A, when that character comes into book B, they bring a kind of a concreteness. They bring memories, they bring backstory. Um, it goes back to texture, I suppose. Maybe it's um, a part of it is laziness as well. Uh, they bring free backstories that I don't have to invent every time because they're already there. Uh, the story has to work if you haven't met them before, of course. Um, I'm not writing installments, but... As it happens, if you have read The Thousand Autumns, Thousand Autumns of Jacob de Zoot, then when you meet Jasper, then you'll have a particular take on his schizophrenia. And when he learns it is a kind of sentient curse passed down the bloodline, uh, you may be more inclined to believe that. If you prefer, as Jasper's psychiatrist does, to believe that it is schizophrenia, pure and simple, as uh, pure and simple as condition like schizophrenia can be then that inter then that interpretation works fine as well um what else maximalism and minimalism by having these hyperlinks these waves between the books i get to do what i dreamt of doing as a kid when i was salivating over my poster map of middle earth or, or reading the foundation books by isaac asimov it's a big epic large-scale creative exercises. I was sort of fired up by a hunger to make one of my own. Uh, I started many times and never got very far, but the hunger never went anywhere. However, as an adult, my curiosity can be highly specific as well. I want to write about this 
forgotten corner of Dutch colonial history or um, Dutch imperial history in uh, Japan in the late in the late eighteen hundreds and uh, sorry the late seventeen hundreds early eighteen hundreds and nothing else. Uh, I want to write quite self-contained books with walls around them. In other words, minimalism. Uh, doing this Uber novel, it allows me to do both. And that's a bit of a twofer. Uh, I suppose also um, it is more recent. Uh, just the last couple of books I've noticed that quite intriguing characters are getting away. They kind of leave the novel um, and go wandering off on their own tra- on their own trajectories and i want to do something with them i want uh, i've 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 realized they are they're kind of pointing towards or, or slowly bringing into existence some kind of a board game i don't know what the rules are i don't know what the stakes are but um they are they're becoming the ingredients and the pieces uh, of a book uh, quite a substantial book, maybe about three novels from now. I'll do something with all of these loose ends and tie them up. So uh, that is my long answer to your much more self-contained and precise question. I mentioned about real people having walk-on parts in the novel. Leonard Cohen, Little Richard, Janice Joplin, a young, calculating, suave and ambitious David Bowie. And there's a wonderful conversation between the Essex boy bassist Dean Moss and Frank Zappa, in which Zappa advises him, If you ever think I've found paradise, you're not in possession of the facts. Don't be dazzled by peacocks either. The novel is rooted in the real world. The research is lightly worn, but must have been very thorough indeed. Did you enjoy doing it? Have you trodden all the streets, checked out all the doorways? Yes, I did tread all the streets. Yes, I did check out the doorways uh, for the last five or six years or so when I've been over to London on publishing business. Uh, I've asked my publisher to put me up in a, a fairly uh, a fairly low budget Soho hotel. It's got a great location. Uh, it's a little bit smelly from the drains, but uh, it's right on the corner of Soho uh, by um, Cambridge Circus, is it? Where the theatre with uh, Harry Potter thing uh, well that's so just there and I've gotten up early in the mornings and walked around Soho and um, and late at night as well just to just to kind of try to bump into ghosts from from the past I was already doing the research it's just it wasn't called research um I'm 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 interested in these people I'm interested in musicians I'm I'm interested in them as some of the some of the interpreters of the human condition that I've spent most time with uh, all through my life, really. Uh, novelists, writers, sure, but actually also singer-songwriters. They, 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 uh, they, they live as deeply in my psyche as fictional characters and writers do. So it was more a case of not so much doing research because I was, I was doing that already as legitimizing it um it was no longer diversionary activity and instead of that it became uh they became well my work they became research for this book so 
that was my cunning plan really to um write a book about music so that the hours I was spending on YouTube hunting down a new interview with Brian Jones from 1966 or, or a more recent one with David Bowie and Jeremy Paxman from 1999 which is astonishing by the way when he talks about the internet he had to have been a time traveller to have known what was going to happen um, I could use all of this this became um, this became my raw material uh, it's also of course great for, catch, for, for capturing the speech patterns because if you can do that you've really got the character and finally I suppose um, it would have been weird if they weren't in there to not have cameos from characters to not have them walking around at the same parties in the same bars where they would have been I think would have been remiss it would have been a lack while some of your work is very naturalistic much of this novel for example and your lovely black swan green about a boy growing up in Malvern yet you also write fearlessly about other worlds there are the time warps of the bone clocks historical tableau and parallel worlds of other novels. One of the driving forces of Utopia Avenue is the strange mental condition of the lead guitarist, Jasper. Would you tell us a bit about that, please? Yes, Jasper does indeed have a strange mental condition. Uh, I touched on it earlier, so I'm not too sure how much I could say it in this podcast without, um, without giving too many spoilers away. Uh, it's connected with an ancestor of Jasper's called Jacob, uh, who we read about in The Thousand Autumns of Jacob de Zoot, a historical novel. Um, it's a kind of a toggle switch, really. If you have read that book, then, um, as I said, um, what happens is something a little bit stranger and more unusual than schizophrenia. If you haven't read the book, then there's this sort of functioning... Um, I hope perfectly um, sound schizophrenic explanation for what's going on with Jasper. Essentially, when he was 15, he heard uh, a knocking sound in his head, in his mind. He heard, he heard voices, uh, but this knocking was a recurring motif and um, it caused him great distress over about a year, a little longer. And... Um, and in the end, aged 16, 17, he had a breakdown and spent time in a sanatorium in the Netherlands. And while he was there, he was safe. But the moment he began to think about leaving, or the moment he set foot outside, um, uh, he had a relapse. He, uh, I don't want to say too much. Uh, a visitor, an incorporeal visitor, uh, who also appears in my very first novel, um, paid a call to... Jasper and provided a temporary fix and that fix is beginning to wear out about four or five years later when Jasper's here in London in 1967 and I think at that point I will allow a theatrical veil to mysteriously drop. I said it's a driving force because as the reader you wonder what on earth is going to happen. How is he going to manage? How will the band manage if Jasper doesn't manage? What he sees and experiences in his psychotic episodes are no less real to him than the experiences of more normal people are to them. What interests you about this? How do you think about the way people perceive reality and what is the status in the real world, which you describe so faithfully and lovingly, of altered states? 
This is a gorgeous question, Johnny. Um, I'm not sure how much justice I can do to it, however. Uh, you ask what is it that interests me about altered states, about perception and reality. And and the truest answer is, is, is all of it. Um, I, I, I'm, I find it hard to conceive it not being interesting to anyone. Uh, ideas about reality being not what is out there, but what is but what we perceive what we perceive is out there uh that reality is is kind of an act of fiction constantly written by perception is it objectively real does it have any objective substance outside ourselves Ooh, uh deep philosophical stuff that that my mind um <laughs> um it's oceanic it's pathibic uh, and and there are philosophers who have far stronger diving bells who can um, descend to far deeper zones of this question than I could. It, uh, altered states are there in my novel because, of course, they're interesting. Uh, of course, they're novelistic. Of course, they are. They give you a different angle of incidence. They give you a different voice in the polyphony. Uh, maybe there's something intrinsically novelistic about them. Um, a novel is an opportunity. It's 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 already an opportunity to walk a mile in someone else's shoes, in someone else's skin. Um, and so, in a sense, an altered state of reality within a novel is just a uh, it, it's 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 fractal. Uh, it is merely doing what the outer novel the thing you're holding in your hand is already doing um so they fit very snugly altered states i mean they fit very snugly into novels because they are already what novels are made of a novel is already an altered state of reality uh that's why they work that's why you can immerse yourself in them that's why you're reading something I'm reading circe by madeline miller and i swear her her her, her island the island she brings into being in that book. It is more real than the room that I'm reading the book in when I'm reading it. And um, something delicious about all this. Amen and hallelujah. <laughs> Not much of an answer, but uh, it's the best I've got for you at the moment. Next time, maybe I'll have something more profound. The World of Utopia Avenue, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll and the Summer of Love, is actually a very blokish world. Although the rampant sexism you portray is tempered by the delightful, down-to-earth, clever and unbelievably patient character of Elf Holloway, who is the band's keyboard player, I wonder how you feel your readers will feel about the sexism they encounter in the characters with whom you are inviting them to sympathise. I'm thinking above all, of course, of Dean Moss. A novelist may frequently find him or herself writing about a character whose values belong to a different world to the one inhabited by his or her readers, and I wonder if this aspect is any different from any of the other imaginative leaps a novelist must make. Do you have any difficulty with rejoicing in characters who have attitudes you dislike? Uh, yes, uh, the world of Utopia Avenue is indeed a very blokish world. And, and it would have been retrospectively inaccurate to have pretended it wasn't and to have made everybody sound woke because they weren't. It would also have been a diminishment of Elf, Elf's achievements and the achievements of actually real life women 
who survived and prospered in that world. Uh, Joni Mitchell, Janis Joplin, Bridget St. John, uh, Marion Faithful. Uh, the odds were stacked against them five times, ten times uh, worse than the odds were stacked against their male counterparts. And there are characters like Dean, um, but to a degree like everyone who buy into that because that was the normal then. Um, that was how many men thought. There were exceptions. They were ahead of their time. They were on the right side of history, but they were not everywhere. They were not ubiquitous. Is this a problem? Um, it's certainly a problem for the characters. It's certainly uh, a problem outside the frame of the book because it was an injustice, and injustice is the, uh, and injustice is always a problem. Um, is it a novelistic problem? Is it a narrative problem? Um, I think if you're aware of it and you act and if you act accordingly and if you don't sort of you don't have to drape large banners everywhere, but if you um sort of implant um, tactful signposts in the narrative uh, to make it clear that you don't think this blokishness, you kind of, me the author, does not uh, endorse or subscribe to this blokishness. Um, sort of not in 12-foot neon writing, but, 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 but if they're there, if it's there in the tone, then 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 I think maybe that's one way to do it. I think of Mad Men with John Hamm, with um, you know, the, um, uh, the, the HBO show, um, a, a phenomenally sexist, racist world. And um, Don Draper, is, uh, is that the protagonist? Uh, the protagonist is, 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 is not above that misogyny. He's not above that racism. Um, he's not... 21st century um, person with more enlightened attitudes has appeared in the world of the 1960s um, out of a time machine um, with our attitudes intact. He is of his time and it would be weird if he wasn't. However, you can show that that they're cottoning on something isn't right about this. That's not too much of a stretch. Uh, and some men would have done back then. Uh, they would have noticed. They would have acknowledged that uh, this wasn't a this wasn't an even playing field at all. So you can put elements of that in. Um, and I think that's maybe that's maybe the best you can do. Um, there are ways to articulate to vocalise these injustices, often in the mouths of women, in the mouths of uh, the people who were at the receiving end of these injustices. Um, that obviously is a way also of, of distancing yourself as the storyteller from those attitudes and from those values um, which which are repugnant. Um, I think that's it. You just have to do the best you can. Um, and just make it clear that uh, that 
it was how the world is then, but that's not necessarily how you, the author, or it isn't at all how you, the author, think the world should be. Um, Utopian Avenue. Uh, Utopia Avenue, it, it, it's it's there in the title. There are glimpses. There's 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 sort of half open windows. There's there's jo- there's doors that are ajar, through which you can see a better world. Um, now those windows and doors may slam shut, uh, in short order, but they were there, and those glimpses are ineradicable. Um, Utopia is only in its glimpses, but that's the point. You imagine the making of music in Utopia Avenue very fully and describe it with exceptional richness. Do you play the guitar? Do you still play in a band? What is your musical background? Well, thank you for the kind things you say about my writing in your question. Uh, I'm not a musician. Uh, I did take some guitar lessons for the book and I took some piano classes for the book as well. Uh, I kind of fell in love with the piano and I'm continuing that now and had my last lesson yesterday uh, and I've got to get my practice done later or, um, yeah, I don't want to let down my piano teacher. Um, What is my musical background? Um, I'm going to slightly hijack your question there. You imagine the making of music in Utopia Avenue very fully and describe it with exceptional richness, you say. Thank you. Um, That was... That was the hardest thing about the book by it it wasn't even a thing that was sort of the that was the that was sort of the act of alchemy I had to try to pull off in order to make the book happen in the first place. How do you write about music uh there's that famous aphorism variously attributed it uh, attributed uh writing about music is like dancing about architecture it is it's probably harder than that uh if you try, if you just try to describe, you know, imagine a page of prose on uh, that's a description of Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen, and then set that alongside Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. <laughs> there isn't even a contest, is there? Uh, the description is going to be as dull as ditch water, as dull as really dull ditch water from Dullshire. Uh, yet, nonetheless, here I am trying to do it. Um, so I had to use every trick that I could think of and to think of some more Uh, at a character level I write about musicians Uh, many of my characters are involved in the music world and it's what they think about all day long as well there's a bit of a head start Uh, at a scene level at a sort of live performance level a description of the song that's being played on stage isn't really going to work. It's going to get turgid. Uh, however, novels can do faces very well and say, what about describing the changing face uh, that the keyboard player Elf is watching? I'm thinking of a scene set at a gig in Edinburgh that the band play. How about describing her face, describing the face of the fan leaning up against the stage with a glass of beer in, in one hand and just being immersed in the music and maybe we can experience the music through through a novelistic description of the face of the experiencer that's another method ah just lots of tricks like that um at a structural level uh the album uh the book is essentially three albums uh, and each chapter is a song that is written in that chapter and the ingredients in the chapter form the song 
So, uh, and, 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 and from the next chapter onwards, that chapter's title is referred to by the band as a song that the point of view character wrote during that chapter. I'm not sure if this makes any sense at all if you haven't read the book, but hopefully it makes some kind of a sense. At a structural level, I, uh, I try to kind of import and infuse uh, the book with music as well. Uh, that is pretty much it. My musical background, like all of us, I've had a relationship with music all my life. It's the first form of art we encounter, I believe, in our mother's wombs, set against the bass track of her heart, bass and drums. That's why the bass and drums are maybe so fundamental, so invisibly fundamental to music, to songs. We don't think about them, it's the guitars and the vocals get the glory, but without a rhythm section, you simply don't have a song. It's like collagen to cells um i think my answer has expired so i'll press the pause key now did you set out to write the novel you ended up with or did its characters take you to different places it's a book of immense power and i wonder what hold it has over its author i went wrong with this book two or three times uh in earlier versions one earlier version was a bit more spoofy it was a bit more spinal tap i played it for laughs a little bit more that was great for 100 pages but um you know it it, it ends up like being a, a dinner party guest who isn't really listening to anybody other than to cue his next gag um so that didn't work in a different version uh griff died after his car crash um I've been watching a lot of... I was very impressed by the first season of Game of Thrones and the way that nobody is safe and how um, you can kind of create jeopardy just by showing that even a member of the band um, is vulnerable to, to, to lethal mishap in this world. Of course that wasn't so great either what might work for the game of thrones doesn't really work for a band in uh, london in the late 60s there were fatalities uh, there were deaths um it wasn't a very safe thing to do to uh, drive all over the country in 1960s vans um in the middle of the night playing gigs not being able to afford bed and breakfast locally and having to drive back to london and uh, and in winter and so bad things did happen but uh uh, as you will know, if you read the book, uh, there is something uh, there is something else of that magnitude uh, right at the end, and uh, one was enough. Um, so, did you set out to write the novel you ended up with? Um, I didn't quite know where it would be taking me. I knew what I wanted in it. I knew some sections. I knew some of stops along the way but the destination and the route actually no not really this one um it varies from book to book but this one was more semi-improvised than many books um it's a book of immense power you ask and i wonder what hold it has over its author well thank you um they don't really work if they don't have a hold over you I think uh, for two years it was the last thing I thought about when I went to sleep at night and the very first thing I thought about when I woke up in the morning that is literally true it's uh it's it's not hyperbole 
Um, and of course, I spent more hours during those. Uh, I was uh, kind of the three or four years I was writing it. Uh, I spent a lot more time with these fictional characters than I did with even members of my own family. Um, went through different versions. Probably I had more editorial help with this book than I than I've ever needed. Uh, I took more advice, kind of not lots, um, not uh, not not kind of in double figures in percentage terms, but 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 probably in the mid mid single figures, which is quite a lot for me. Um, and sometimes some of the more crucial. Uh, percentages as well um carol welsh my editor in the uk and andy ward my editor at random house um they gave me some really helpful feedback at times when i was so sort of drunk on the book that i really couldn't see the wood for the trees or maybe jet lagged with the book is a better word um and i was still making adjustments in the middle of the night at the very last minute um and at some point I had an email back from my editor to say, look, just stop, stop, you know, you've gone past the point where this is useful. So, uh, so I, I, I obeyed and let it go with much reluctance, just as well, because otherwise I'd still be adjusting. I, I would still be doing rewrites now. At some point you have to let it make its own way into the world and uh, wish it well. Um, as ever... It taught me more about writing than I knew at the start. As ever, I'm grateful to it for that. As ever, I hope I can incorporate what it's taught me about writing into my next book. As ever, I know that it'll be the same story at the end of the next book. As ever, the next book will be teaching me things that I don't currently know about writing. And um, it's a living relationship. Thank you very much, David. It's extremely kind of you to have done that for us. And I wish all our listeners great joy in reading the book when you get there. Thank you very much, Johnny, and all at John Sando's Books. You're a great shop. It's been fun doing this. Uh, and I hope to see you really soon and walk into your shop and, um, and just talk about books. You're kind of a Rivendell uh, for book lovers. You're this sort of great, safe, friendly, intelligent place and uh, may you always be there.